What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doster T.O. and Fancy Podcast. It is the DTF Podcast. It is Tuesday, June 28th, and we are back. The band is back together, ladies and gentlemen. We have Terrence Oglesby live from, I don't even know where you are, somewhere in Scandinavia. He's at least, <laughs> uh, it's at least normal hours for you today, T.O. We also have John. 5.15, 5.15. 15. perfect, man. And we also have John Fanta, who is live, not from the beach, I don't believe. Are you back at the beach yet? You spend most of your life at the Jersey Shore during the summer, right? Nope, but I'm gearing up for a huge, jam-packed 4th of July weekend down the shore. DTS for all you Jersey folks. This is a dream for New Jersey to have a 4th of July weekend in which Friday's the first. Nobody's working on Friday the first if you're working your lane. Saturday's the second, Sunday's the third. And yes, I'm taking you through numbers now. I'm not that smart. But July 4th is Monday. So you get a maximum holiday weekend where you don't have to go to work until Tuesday. This is a terrific holiday weekend coming up. And I think everybody needs it. They need some rest, some relaxation. So I am gearing up for a great, great weekend ahead down the shore you can find me at parker house all sunday afternoon doing oyster shots well you know what i might have to make my way down there so dtf is going to be dts this weekend ladies and gentlemen t.o let me ask you this question i need your number one food at a july 4th cookout barbecue whatever you want to phrase it what, what, what's your what's your I, go to i'm such a burger guy like just keep it simple give me a nice mm-hmm. cheeseburger some tomatoes a lettuce some lettuce uh, throw in some uh, some pickles, some sweeter pickles, though. Yeah, add a little different taste to it, and then uh, ketchup, mustard, and I'm the happiest man you'll ever meet. Fancy. So let me give you this one, guys. <laughs> oh, boy. This is how lucky I got getting engaged to my wonderful fiance Victoria. And no, I did not know this uh, before I, I started dating her. I didn't sound like I did a background check. Her parents met at the Culinary Institute. Ooh, oh, boy. You. So I am there marrying into a family of chefs. And for the 4th of July weekend, Dowster's going to love this. And Tio, I think you will too. Her dad is deep frying a turkey for the 4th. And then taking the remnants from, the, from deep frying the turkey, and he's making homemade french fries. Oh, wow. boy. Now, there's a twist on, on the fourth. Now, in terms of barbecue, I love my medium rare steak. Take that. Mm. Everybody yep. in our, our group chat, I have a ton of thoughts on that. But I'll be having some deep fried turkey, a little uh, shade of Thanksgiving here during the fourth. Look, I can't, I can't respect, T.O., I, I don't know how you eat your steak, but I'll tell you this. I can't respect, you, rare. I can't respect you as a man if you are getting <laughs> well done or medium well done steaks. No, you're not. A, you're, you're you're a child. That's all. Yes. It is. You're, you're a child. You're a lesser you're human. Steakums, you're a lesser you're getting human. steakums. You're putting ketchup on it. You're probably drinking it with a glass of Boone's Farm, right? You're you're drinking wine out of the bag. <laughs> you are not. You're not an adult if you're ordering medium well steaks. You're a child. That's just it's it's just that simple. That's a veiled shot. I don't need to put his name. The the name of the 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 three gentlemen that uh that that's a veiled shot at, but it is. It is. They know who they are. Yeah, go be, over to the a, kids' table. Man. Okay, you deserve a kids' menu if you're mm-hmm. ordering a well-done steak. You can pick between chicken fingers, mac and cheese, and uh, a burger, but that's it. You, if you aren't eating, if you aren't putting pink in your meat, you've got it all wrong, man. <laughs> the color of <laughs> T.O.'s head. You're, you're, <laughs> 
I mean, look, that one. You're going to let that one ride. You're going to let that one ride. I'm I'm not going to say, I'm just going to let it go. That's all I'm going to do. You are, you are exactly right. You are exactly right. If you're going to cook a piece of meat until it turns into a piece of leather, I can't respect you. You're basically eating, you're eating a flip flop. Why would you pay? Why would you pay that kind of money? They they just don't know. They just don't know. Oh. Horrible. Yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't respect it. All right, look, th- what we're doing today is we're going to do another episode with, with burning questions, right? I have 10 burning off-season questions that we're all going to get into. We're all going to weigh in on. We're going to do it. We're going to have the timer set up. We're going to do a traditional DTF podcast. But before we do, uh, there was a little bit of a drama that kind of erupted yesterday on, on, on uh, I guess it was on social media. Draymond Green on his podcast um, ripped Kendrick Perkins. Uh, Kendrick Perkins responded um in kind the way that you would expect uh with I, I think it was just a video on twitter and i don't really care about like their back and forth and, and the way that it kind of breaks down but it turned into this like old media versus new media thing and i don't know how you guys feel about it but it is i actually enjoy kendrick perkins right i think i might be one of the few guys that enjoys kendrick perkins the same way that i do kind of enjoy what Stephen a smith does strictly from an entertaining per- entertainment perspective right those guys if you watch them they're fun to listen to, right? I don't want to hear them breaking down games. I want to hear Kendrick Perkins' thoughts on life. I don't want to hear him talking about specific NBA games. I want to hear Draymond Green. I want to hear mm-hmm. J.J. Redick. I want to see J. McCollum. What frustrates me and what I just don't understand is why you would put Kendrick Perkins, who's, who's, who's going to talk in platitudes and who's, who's, gonna, who, who's not going to dive deep into the game. He's going to talk about... Um, Things that aren't necessarily breaking down why this is happening, why this is happening, why this player is effective, why this scheme works. He's not getting into the X's and O's, right? Uh, why is he on all of these major platforms? When you have guys, the, the best in the business, J.J. Wright is probably the best media guy right now. Draymond Green is up there. C.J. McCollum was fantastic. You brought Patrick Beverly on. It was great. I don't understand why you aren't using those guys more in some of the bigger platforms and on these bigger stages and on main ESPN and where we as consumers have to go out and find their content, right? We have to go out and find them on YouTube. We have to go out and find these podcasts. We have to go out and find the different videos that they do. It's good for us. And it's good for me. And like, I don't know if, if, if those bigger networks invested in that specifically ESPN invested in the best kind of high quality content and and breaking the game down entertainment and information, entertaining and informing the field of 68. I don't know if it would exist, but it's very, it's confusing to me that they lean into um, they lean into stuff that is just kind of strictly entertainment as opposed to actually talking about the game in a way that I think most fans want to hear the game talked about. Does that make sense? I just, I, I don't, I don't want to get into exactly who was right and who was wrong in Draymond Green versus Kendrick Perkins, but I do think it's a perfect example of why aren't we seeing more Draymond and why are we seeing so much of Kendrick Perkins? Well, Draymond was playing. So I think that's one of the reasons we didn't see okay, more Jay- JJ yeah. Reddick, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. I, here's my thoughts on the whole thing, and I've gone back and forth with how to attack this. Look, I, I think some of these guys, you know, these super talented, I understand they get bitter at the media because they feel like they're at the, being attacked all the time, especially NBA guys. Because I feel like guys just feel like they're they're not handcuffed. Like for for example, us three, we're not going to attack these college kids individually because they're still college kids. NBA, you're getting paid two quarter billion dollars. It's fair game. And these guys get sick of it and they feel like they can't be touched and all that stuff. But I also think that some of these guys, Draymond in particular, uh, Kevin Durant in particular, Kyrie Irving is his own, his own brand of person. And I'm saying that nicely, but, but what I'm getting at is, (laughs) is they, they are the Skip Baylesses who's crazy on his own, the Kendrick Perkins who, it doesn't know basketball. He was a big enforcer who set really good screens and did the dirty work. Like he didn't know basketball. They're there to entertain. That's their job. So like what, I don't understand where all the animosity comes from. You guys show up to do a job. They show up to do a job. They know exactly what they're doing when they're hiring it. I don't understand the resentment from some of these guys. And I, to be honest with you guys, I thought Draymond was out of line uh, because one is he doesn't have to attack Kendrick in that manner, especially when bringing up um, pejorative terms when doing so. I don't think that's one. Kendrick's doing his job. 
two, uh, for you to do something like that completely takes away from how you could actually win an argument. And it just completely stepped over the line. So I don't understand the animosity. Um, the, the, the media is going to be the media. You're going to have some guys that are really positive. You're going to have some guys that are really negative. And when you're NBA and you're getting paid quarter, a quarter of a billion dollars, you're going to get some of it. So just deal with it. I don't understand why they're attacking them. Now, to your point about having more educated, when I, when I say more educated, what I mean is uh, more guys that are going to be on television, more so teaching the game. I'm in agreement. I think ESPN's gotten away with that. Uh, what Kendrick Perkins is really good at is creating narratives and kind of saying stuff that just is off the wall. Uh, I mean, whenever in his bio, it you know says it went is? to Cash University. It's like, that's what he does. He's good at, at instigating comments and instigating people to say stuff. That's why he's there. And everybody knows that. It, he's he's good at creating content, right? It, that's he, right. He's very, right. very good at creating content and stuff that we can talk about, which is why, like, I want to hear Kendra Perkins talk about life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I want to sit there and I want to talk with him about, you know, what I want him to be on this conversation when we're talking about the best foods at the July 4th cookout, right? I want to hear what he thinks about um, things beyond just basketball. Just talk to me about life, Kendrick. I I don't need you being the guy breaking down the games because you're not doing it as well as the other, these other these other people are. And, and what I don't understand, and maybe it's just because I, I, we're not necessarily the the average fan and we want more in-depth stuff i don't understand why all of the good stuff is what you have to go find on youtube and uh, from content creators like jj reddit believe it or not and the stuff that is on these major platforms are the ones where you're like yeah you know what that's what a youtuber would probably be talking about it just it, it baffles me that that is what these executives have decided to uh to platform themselves while all of the best stuff you got to go out and search out on your own I, that's what dry i just don't get it but it works for us, man. Field of 68. We're making it happen. Yeah. It creates, well, you know it creates what? an avenue for us. Yeah. Here's yeah. the deal. Draymond Green made things personal. Yes. And Bingo. Draymond Green, if you want to be a media member, you're going to get treated like a media member. So if you want to get into that, that's great. Good for Draymond. I'm happy about it. Draymond Green is also, he's he's got a ton of charisma and adds a ton of personality on camera. And he's going to have a job in TV after he's done playing. That being said, when you start calling people names and you start making it personal, that's not right. Yes. That's not right. You can't do that. So in terms of what's being discussed versus what happened in this instance, I'm looking at what happened in this instance and I'm saying, look, I mean, Kendrick Perkins didn't do anything wrong here. Like you guys said, I've listened to Kendrick Perkins talk about anything. Draymond Green took it upon himself to call Kendrick Perkins something bad, and Draymond was out of line. In terms of the networks and what they're doing, I will leave it at this. I grew up, grew up, six years old, seven years old, eight years old, nine years old, watching SportsCenter in the morning. And you know what I would do? I'd watch the 8 a.m. The 9 a.m. was it was a taped show. They wouldn't come on live until like noon. I would watch it over and over again. It never got old. It never got old. You would watch the highlights back. You'd watch this playback. Maybe I was just strange, but like that was my childhood. There are days and times where I just wish sometimes that they would go back to what the bread and butter of the situation is. Like, yes, at times coming on and talking about what happened in a game versus what this means for a guy's legacy or what this means for, for his fate. Just at times we make sports such a fantasy in this world that we ignore the realities of what happens in a game. And I wish sometimes that we could just focus a little bit more on who won, who lost and why it happened. It's why I will dish out some praise. Guys, when it comes to guys talking about games, you guys are speaking highly on Reddick. I agree with you. McCollum, totally agree with you. The OG over at the four-letter network, the worldwide leader, who always comes on, talks about a game intelligently, has even stood the test of getting laid off, is Tim Legler. Yes. For ye- Tim Legler has been on the air for 20-plus years. And always comes on, talks intelligently about the game, doesn't get too far into takes. Like, you can have a take, 
but back it up. And lately what we've got is just people spewing out takes and not having a whole lot of reasoning. Remember the realities of the game versus the super fantasy world that we create of how some guy's going to be remembered when he retires. Yep. Totally agree. Well said Fanta and, and good, good, uh, good call on Tim Legler. He is, he's very good at what he does and I do enjoy him quite a bit. All right. Uh, let's get into some of these burning off season questions. I have 10 of them. We're going to do four minutes on each of these questions. We're bringing out the buzzer to I know how much you love that timer that how much you love that alarm. It's going to be four minutes per question. We're going to open uh, six minutes on this first question. So I think this is the biggest one that we have to talk about. All right. So we're going to you first, uh, T.O., on this one. Gonzaga or North Carolina, who is the best team in the country? Go. If I had to pick one, I would go between the two. I'd probably go you, Gonzaga. You have to pick one. That's the question. Well, well the whole but, question but the rest is of the question is, or someone else. I read the notes. Or someone okay. else. Okay. And just to be a devil's advocate, I, I would go Gonzaga if I had to pick between the two. But there's two teams right now without – Guys, I've, I haven't done the deepest of dives. I, I'm going to obviously do that. I have my windows open because there's no AC here and it's 80 degrees outside. So if you hear a car go by, that's what's happening. But two more teams that I really have my eye on. One uh, is way out west, and we understand the historical significance of them. But UCLA is going to be pretty good. They're going to be pretty good. They lose Johnny Juzang, but they get Amari Bailey, who's going to ha- give them another shot creator for others with the ball beside Tiger Campbell, they get Adam Bona, another guy who is physically ready to contribute right away. Both of those guys are top 20 guys. I love UCLA moving forward without Johnny Juzang because I think sometimes they hold the ball too much. Amari Bailey gets that ball moving a little bit more. Tiger Campbell, much of the same way. And then another one, guys, Houston. I'm never going to doubt. I'm not, is it time for Houston to take that next step? Uh, Marcus Sasser returns. They get a young man named Jairus Wall. Uh, was it Jairus uh, Walker, top ten player in the country, and then Terrence Archinot, who was a top seventy player in the country, probably underrated. Houston's going to be really a good good again. If I had to pick between the two, I'm going Gonzaga, then UCLA, and Houston as well. Carolina's good, but I think people forget how good Brady Manick was for that team. Fanta? I'm going to go with Carolina here over Gonzaga and. The addition of Pete Nance puts Carolina over the top as my number one team in the country. Look, they lose Brady Manick, and there's no question he filled out a unique role. There was only one player like Manick in college basketball last season. Uh, it was him. He was very unique. But you bring back your starting backcourt. That's where I'm concerned with Gonzaga, guys. Nolan Hickman, Rasir Bolden, Julian Strother. I get that they're all quality pieces, but I still give Carolina's backcourt the edge with R.J. Davis, with Caleb Love, and then with Leaky Black. And I think that the returning experience there and the fact that those dudes perform like dudes in March Madness, they just stepped up to the occasion time and again in different ways. I'm going to side with that backcourt. And, oh, by the way, the return of Armando Baycott, for this team is able to negate if I'm comparing Gonzaga and North Carolina, the return of a drew Timmy and Timmy's return is huge. And I'm not questioning drew Timmy here. I look at Gonzaga though. And in the past couple of seasons, what's made them so successful is I have loved their backcourt. And I thought that that gives them a different dimension. I give North Carolina's backcourt and a bit of an edge here. And I think the addition of Pete Nance cannot be overstated. The fact is that that guy performed at a pretty high level, flew under the radar at Northwestern, a program that that didn't perform, but he was able to put up some efficient numbers in the Big Ten. That's going to translate over at North Carolina. And oh, by the way, now Pete Nance is playing with better players at Carolina. And I think that helps him too, because everybody, Pete Nance was at the top of everybody's scouting report at Northwestern. I give the edge to the Tar Heels over the Zacks. Yeah, I, I lean towards North Carolina as well. And as much as uh, as I like to disagree with uh, one Gregory Waddell, who does all of our social media stuff, who is not very good at putting together lists, uh, I do think that Pete Nance is just such an important addition because I think he can fill a void that that Brady Manic left. And, and T.O., you're 100% right about Manic. The, the dude is – he brought a level of toughness his ability to space the floor, the gravity that he had is, is something that um, I don't think can be replaced. Uh, 
I think Pete Nance is the perfect foreman to slot in there. He shot 46% from three last year. He was super efficient playing on a really, really bad Northwestern team. I do think he's best as a complimentary piece. He is a good passer. Uh, he had a really good block rate. He had a really good defensive rebounding rate. Um, he's going to create space for those guards to be able to do things. I think he is the, the addition that you needed for that team. Now, uh, my concerns are the same with Gonzaga uh, that they are. Uh, Fanta, I, I agree with you. There's a lot of young guards on that mm-hmm. roster. And we've kind of like, we've seen what Gonzaga is with Drew Timmy, right? We know what they are. They yes. are very, very good. Are they good enough to be able to go out and beat the best team in the country that's going to have guys that can exploit what some of Timmy's weaknesses are? Um, I think that they probably can. Uh, I'd be more willing to bet on the team where I love the two studs in the backcourt that have been there, a stud in Leaky Black that knows his role, a stud in Pete Nance that knows his role, and Armando Baycott just hoovering up every single rebound that's possible. And for the record, like, I'm never going to doubt Mondo ever again. Like, he's such – the the pain. We saw this, guys. We saw this at the yeah. Final Four. The pain that he played through in the national title game, like, he he could not move getting on that court. And he went out, and he he was really, really good for about 25 minutes before it looked like it just kind of – that ankle tightened up on him. So I'm never going to doubt him again. I will say this. Uh, I agree 100% with you on Houston and UCLA, T.O. That, that would be – those are my top four. Right there, my preseason mm-hmm. top four. I just think I would have North Carolina a little bit above Gonzaga and Gonzaga a little bit above those next two. I just trust them a little bit more. I think there's more overall talent, if that makes sense. Keep in mind, Nolan Pickman and uh, Hunter Salas both coming back, and then they added some playmaking with Malachi Smith. Uh, like Gonzaga loaded up too, and they had two five stars that played mm-hmm. uh, less than most five stars would play on any other team in their back. I need to season. see it though. Like, I need to see it from them before I fully buy in. Is that, you know, like, yeah, you know, no, it makes I, sense, but they didn't have the opportunity to show it either. True. True. Very so fair. That, that, I, I, I am only... very interested. Like there, Gonzaga could run out of lineup where they basically have uh, Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas, um, Rasir Bolton, who's coming back mm-hmm. and Julian Strother as their one, two, three, four, all around Drew Timmy. Like, how do you guard that? Very versatile, very versatile. <laughs> Another name is Efton Reed. For Gonzaga, mm-hmm. what what's he going to do with more of an opportunity? But this is Salas's time to step up and and give them what they recruited him on. And I'm with you. I mean, I, look, that is when I think Gonzaga, they've got an interesting four out one in that they can that they can go with. So there's a lot of intrigue there, and there's also intrigue too when you do have pieces that haven't yet been able to show it. What exactly does it come out to? Whereas with North Carolina. We do know a lot about that team. We know a lot about what they bring to the table. Do, do you guys, briefly, T.O., do you trust Carolina's bench a lot? That's the question. That's I the don't question. know. Be- hey, first of all, <laughs> be- better alarm, I think. I think. Not much better. I, I don't have a good alarm on this. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what it is. I, I judge myself for what these alarms are. But go ahead, T.O., answer Fanta's question before we get into question number two. That, that's, the thing that, that's the thing that most people are going to worry about. You, you obviously uh, get Nance, but behind it, Puff Johnson, is he a, a North Carolina-level player? I would say no. But, uh, you know, Hubert, whenever they got a lot better, he shortened his bench. That was uh, the big thing. Uh, he shortened his bench. He quit playing everybody. He played six players. Now, is he going to do that all season next year? Because then there's a cumulative effect that starts in November, and then by the time you get to March, dude's legs start leaving. And it can become kind of an issue moving forward. But it'll be interesting to see. The bench for Carolina is going to be huge. One thing Gonzaga does have is a bench. So uh, the longevity and the lack of scheduling with playing in that conference, I don't want to hear it. It's not as good as the ACC. But uh, the longevity and the depth of Gonzaga is significantly different. That that felt personal, right there. Tio. It did. It was personal. personal. It was. A, it was. A, it was. A, it was a wee bit personal. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Question number two, Fanta. We're going to you first on this one. Duke's rotation this year could very well end up being four true freshmen: Jeremy Roach, Jacob Granderson, who I think might just end up being Joey Baker with a headband, and another freshman that should actually be a senior in high school. Do you trust them with a brand new head coach? Do I trust them to be a national championship contender? No, I do not. I don't. I'm out on Duke in that regard, which is always the expectation at Duke. And it's not because of John Shire taking over. I actually am am more intrigued by Duke because of John Shire taking over on the sidelines 
than I would be if Mike Krzyzewski were back at Duke for another season. Not a knock on Coach K. uh, More about change. Change is needed sometimes, and this was time. What I get concerned with Duke uh, is Kyle Filipowski and Derek Lively coming in. I'm fascinated by them. Filipowski, people argue he's the most ready player to take on the college game and and Duke can play through him and his length and the idea of Filipowski and Lively, Duke's length, they're going to be an imposing duo coming into this program. Where I get concerned is, at the end of the day, Jeremy Roach is limited in what he can do for a team. He's a quality player. Is he the alpha? No, he's not. Dariq Whitehead, it's a lot to expect of, of Whitehead to come in as a wing. He does love to attack the rim. He's an aggressive player. He's a good ball handler. I'm intrigued to see what Whitehead brings to the table. But again, he's he's going to just be a freshman. And Jacob Grandison, to me, is a role player. And what I wonder with Duke is, late in the game, who are they playing through? Are they playing through this length of Filipowski and Lively? What exactly does this team look like? I think that they have intrigue because of the bigs. But guys... It's a guards game, and point guard I, don't tru- I don't trust. I don't trust Duke's guard the buzzer, play. Tio. Point that's guard actually play. where I, that's actually where I was going to go. Is I, I think Jeremy Roach is going to be a top four point guard in the country next year. I really do because he, his he needs his, to be. his ability with the basketball, his quickness. You play. Uh, is that an alarm or a phone? I don't know. That's what that a phone. Was. Uh, My okay, got right. you. Uh, <laughs> No, I love the way they put this roster together. They put together some guys, uh, some of these transfers. Grandison, was he the best player on his team? Nope. Ryan Young at Northwestern? Nope. Uh, Kel Catchings at Harvard? Nope. But what they did was they got a bunch of culture guys to go along with these young guys, these guys that understand expectations. And then you bring Jeremy Roach, who's a supreme ball handler. You started to see flashes of what he could be the back end of last year. And then during the tournament, I thought he played exceptionally well. And then you look at their makeup beyond that. Derek Lively is DeAndre Jordan with a jumper, in my opinion. I, I like he gets he gets wherever he wants uh, defensively as far as blocking shots around the rim. He's got supreme length. Filipowski, I didn't get a chance to see him in person because he tested positive for COVID at Peach Jam last year. Yada yada yada. Didn't get to see him. Heard great things. Really skilled, seven feet, good player. And then you have Derek Whitehead, who is a supreme athlete at about six eight six nine. That is college ready. You have all this talent around or uh, surrounded by veterans who are willing to play roles and a point guard who knows how to play the game at a high level going into what is Jeremy Roach a junior now I like, think he's technically a, a sophomore he's got three years of eligibility if he wants to take his COVID year yeah but he's a, but he's he's a junior he's been there for two years he's played mm-hmm. he's been through or he's been through the ringer didn't play he got injured yada 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 but this guy is really quick he's going to have an excellent pick and pop target pick and pick and roll target with lively and the floor is going to be more open this year than it was last year because those guys can shoot the ball and Joey Baker uh, yada 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 never really hit shots when it mattered was in and out we'll see how he plays at Michigan but this Duke team the pieces really fit, and I like the way their roster is put together. Are they a national championship contender in year one? That'd be a sight to see, but it's going to be tough. There you go. You didn't get to um, say anything. We went, well, no, I, I just – yeah, no, for, I, I agree with both of you guys for the most part. Um, I'm just – I think it's going to be uh, a little bit of a slow build for them. The ceiling's there. I think they're going to take some lumps early on in the season, mm-hmm. as you do when you have that much – all right. Uh, T.O., I'm going to you first on this one. Question number three. Can you trust Kansas when you don't know if you can trust their five-man? Yeah, they won the national championship, and they didn't know. And yet David McCormick found a way to figure it out. Bill Self sticks with those guys. Now he's gone, but they brought in some guys too. I I love Kansas, and the reason I'm going to trust them is Bill Self's the head coach. Now I I, I don't know what else is going to happen during the offseason, whatever, but – I trust Kansas as long as Bill Self's on the sidelines. And then you're going to have one of the breakout candidates in the country and Bobby Pettiford, who sat, sat the bench this year. But this is a strong bodyguard with supreme quickness. He's really going to be able to play. He took, he took a year to learn, didn't play that many minutes. But I'm telling you guys, this kid is special. He's the next great guard from Carolina to move to the mid. I guess that would be the Midwest, right? Kansas. Like this guy, it, he's really, really talented. And their recruiting has just uh, kept pace. Grady Dick was the Gatorade National Player of the Year. As long as 
Bill Self is on the sidelines. They're going to figure out a way. And if they don't have a five-man that's consistent, Ertis Ude is going to be good. I'm not sure he's going to be great right away because obviously some of these Kansas bigs take a second to kind of get acclimated and, and to be efficient. But I still trust Kansas no matter what just because of Bill Self. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that's that's 100% it. It's the guy on the sidelines, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. Bill Self is going to find a way to figure it out. And um, I the one place I will give him credit is he has been willing to – go to more of a small ball approach when needed. Uh, There was a while when he would refuse to do anything other than play two big guys and really run that high-low offense, right? And we saw it, I think it first kind of started with the the year with Josh Jackson when he was there. Um, Then 2018, they made the Final Four, playing mostly Svi at the four. Um, Mm -hmm. They've kind of embraced this this, a little bit more of a four-around-one identity in recent years. The 2020 team with with Doak at the five, um, I, I think that's kind of the quintessential Bill self teams. And you mentioned Ertis Ude. I think Zach Clements might get the first chance yeah. at, at the, as the five man this year, they also got the, uh, I don't even Zuby. I'm not even gonna try to say his last name, but they, they, they have bodies up front. I will be interested to see with a guy like Kevin McCullough coming in with a guy like Jalen Wilson coming back. You mentioned Grady Dick. You, I don't think, no, if you mentioned MJ Rice, there are going to be lineups where they could, they could use maybe McCullough as a small ball five, maybe put KJ Adams at the small ball five. I, I think Fanta, I think we're going to see a lot more interesting lineups when it comes to Kansas this year, I think we're going to see a lot more experimentation, especially early on. But look, I'll tell you this. If Bobby Pettiford ends up living up to the expectations we have, which I hope is Frank Mason's sophomore year, the year when they had uh, – uh, it was the year after Andrew Wiggins and all them. Um, yep. And then mm-hmm. and then Bill Self, you combine those two things, I got no doubts in Kansas. Well, and don't forget about the guy who redshirted last season and practiced against David McCormick every single day, and that's Cam Martin. So it's interesting to see what he's going to bring. And the the thing is with Cam Martin, we don't exactly know what he's going to bring to this team. He's a versatile piece. He's somebody that maybe he gets some time at the four, although Jalen Wilson has that held down. What they do at the five is the key question to answer, but you trust it. You know why? They do have options, and you guys have brought those options up. It's not like Kansas is in a corner down to one guy at the five. And I think that Zach Clemens will be the guy that gets the the first crack at this. He seems to have the the best frame at the moment, and, and he has the best physicality of the candidates to take on this five spot for this team. But you know what? They're, they don't have to play through the five to win games. They've got enough pieces. I think Dewan Harris continuing to develop his game is important for this team. And I think Jalen Wilson. He's such a good leader. Like he's, he's such a, a such a valuable presence. Great leader. I, I think some of the things on the court that he can do in terms of making plays for others is important. And then what Jalen Wilson tested the waters. So Jalen Wilson, what are you going to do to build upon that here? This upcoming year. We asked that same question with Ochai Agbaji. Now I want to know what Wilson does to answer it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if you can kind of make a similar leap. All right, uh, question number four, Tio. We already know your answer on this one, so Fanta, I'm going to you first. Buy or sell Houston as a national title contender? Buy. In fact, I buy Houston uh, more than I buy Gonzaga and another team we're going to be talking about. Look, Houston is bred on toughness. They are toughness personified in college basketball. And with what they have coming back with Marcus Saster and Tremont Mark, those two guys are just flat-out dudes that make things happen for this team. Uh, When you think about what they have beyond those two guys, yes, they lose Fabian White, and yes, they lose Kyler Edwards and Tajay Moore, but they made some key additions. They added a Texas Tech transfer and Miley Wilson, who I think can help them. I'm interested to see what uh, Walker as well as Reggie Chaney can do for that team in the front court. But when I look at their pieces, when I look at them defensively, they're as good as any defensive team in college basketball. And when you think about the fact that they do play in the American, I know that that leads them to not getting as much national attention as other teams. That's a fact. Because when they face the big dogs in March Madness here the past two years, They have been more than up to the challenge. When you watch them in person, they're so imposing. That is the makeup of this team. Again, they have quality pieces back. But I think being in the American 
actually can help this team in some respects because they, they schedule people in the non-conference, but Kelvin Sampson does a nice job of getting them groomed for what they see in the NCAA tournament and sometimes playing in an easier conference, but not too easy, allows you to work on some things yourselves during the season and really be ready for what you're going to see in March. Am I buying Houston? Hell yeah, I am, because they've got enough pieces coming back. They've made some quality additions, and I think Kelvin Sampson is the most underrated coach in college basketball. We talk about point guard play all the time, right? That, that's but there, There's a reason it's a running joke because of buzzword uh, on our show. And Marcus Sasser is the best point guard in college basketball. I don't think that that's a the conversation, right? He's the best guard in college basketball. I don't know if you want to call, qualify him as a point guard. I don't know what you want to phrase it as, but he is the best ball handler in college basketball. You combine that with the team that brings back veterans like Jamal Shedd and Tremont Mark. We, we, we've seen what they can do. Adds in a couple of talented freshmen. You mentioned them, Jarris Walker and, and Terrence Arsenault. And then you always, T.O., you just trust whoever Kelvin Sampson has at his four and his five spot. It doesn't matter what the names on the back of the jersey are. There's going to be two things you know about them. They're going to be 6'8", solid muscle, and they're going to play their balls off for 40 minutes, however long they're on the floor. And if you yeah, combine play, Marcus Sasser, yes, combine Marcus Sasser, those veteran guards, that young talent, and those dudes that are just going to be culture, toughness, winning mentality guys. If you don't buy Houston as a national title contender, then you don't know ball. Bottom line, you don't you you, you don't know you don't know who you don't know who you don't, you uh, don't know who. no playing hard playing hard to skill guys. I, I mean, it's just as big a skill as shooting the ball or uh, you know using the pick and roll, whatever. Playing hard is a skill. That's why Della Vadova got paid because the dude played harder than everybody else. This Houston <laughs> team, they have everybody that just plays. You saw it in the tournament. I mean, they were unbelievable. Every loose ball, every charge taken, every ball like 50-50, Forget it. Houston's getting that ball, and then you also have the talent on top of it. It's a recipe for disaster for whoever they're playing. Plus, they got a top ten player in, in uh, Jarris Walker, and then you got Terrence Archinot, who, who, like I said, is probably more of a top thirty-five, top forty kid. Talent is there in Houston, and they're going to keep it rolling. Yeah, uh, you don't. We don't question Kelvin Sampson no. on this podcast. We don't question him. What we do question is your ringer, my ringer, my choice of alarms. Um, all right, question <laughs> question number five. Fanta, I'm going back to you first in this one again because it is a Big East team. It is Creighton. Are you buying or selling the Blue Jays as a national title contender? I am selling them as a national title contender. I think that they are a really, really, really good team. But to me, they're closer to Elite Eight Sweet 16 than national championship game and that doesn't mean that they can't grow into a national championship caliber team but I do think that as a result of their March run to the Big East championship game and then a game against San Diego State I don't like hypotheticals I hate them but guys if you watched any part of that game San Diego State had that game in the bag they they should have won that game as a result of Creighton winning, they come back and win the game and then giving Kansas a terrific test down multiple guys that are now coming back from injury. And it's good to hear that Ryan Kalkbrenner and Ryan Nemhard are both cleared for all basketball activities. Wow. They're both good to go. So those injuries are not going to impact Creighton into this season. They're working right now. That being said, Ryan Hawkins did so many things for that Creighton team last year that I don't even think got accounted for. and. As much as Baylor Shireman coming in makes a big difference, let's keep in mind here that as good of a player as Baylor Shireman was, it's still a transition going into the Big East for night in, night out play, going into a power conference. So I think this comes down to if Trey Alexander and Ryan Nemhart can really make the spurts, because Alexander, he didn't play his best basketball until Nemhart went down with the injury at the end of the season. If these two guys I, can, I, I'm going to push back on that one real quick because Trey Alexander, what he was, was I talked to McDermott last week, and this is a direct quote. He said, Trey Alexander was our best freshman defender that we've ever had. Right. And right. that includes Kyrie Thomas, who was a two time defensive player of the year in the big East. Sure. Um, Trey, Ale Trey Alexander showed what he could be when they put him on the ball and he didn't mess everything up when he was the only point guard left on the roster. I will say this. The reason why I am buying them as a national title contender is twofold. One, 
They were an elite defensive team last year. The reason they were an elite defensive team is because Ryan Kalkbrenner anchored everything. You want a stat? I got a stat for you two guys. Ryan Kalkbrenner, 34 games played last season. He averaged 30 minutes a game, picked up four fouls once, picked up three fouls three other times, didn't foul out of a game. He is the, the, the best big guy when it comes to not fouling as a rim protector. That's despite the fact that Creighton funneled everything towards him at the rim. Two, there's no way that they could possibly be as bad three-point shooting as they were last year. Arthur Kaluma shot 26% from three last season. I think we can all agree he's better than a 26% three-point shooter. I think bringing in Baylor Shireman, who McDermott told me is basically Mitchell Ballack, but a better better passer. You bring in a guy like that to help create some space. And all of a sudden, you have sophomore year Trey Alexander, sophomore year Ryan Nemhard, their ability to get in there, create space, run ball screens. You got the rim runner at Ryan Kalkbrenner. You got a shooter in the corner on either side. And all of a sudden, that lineup becomes much more dangerous. You are exactly right about Ryan Hawkins, Fanta. I will say this as well. I think that when you get these guys, one, learning from AOC and Ryan Hawkins, and two, becoming sophomores, I think that they will be better. T.O., you got 30 seconds. Give me your take on Creighton. That's an expensive Mitch Ballack. <laughs> like, that's a True. really expensive. Great point. Great yeah, that's point. That's a really expensive Mitch Ballack. Uh, I think they're going to be very good. I think they're a second weekend team. I love what uh, Fanta said about that. Colin Brenner, I can't remember what the – situation why can't with the injury I could, just because I'm having a brain fart was it a knee or a foot I can't remember uh uh went down with an ankle I that's believe. right that's right okay yeah. so glad he's back he's obviously a huge piece they're talented they can score all over the place top end talent Trey Alexander's gonna have to make that next one there you go I like go. Trey Alexander I thought Quick. he got that op- he got that opportunity when Nimbard went down that is going to benefit them greatly this year because it gives them multiple ball handlers and then uh, Rati Andre, Andre Nikishvili, I thought yes. he was pretty good in spurts. You can bring him in. He's a dog defender. And then you can put Alexander both on the ball and off the ball. They're going to have multiple playmakers. And they're going to shoot it better, like you said. But quickly, bear in mind, different role being hunter versus hunted. Last year, they were totally off the map, totally off the map. They snuck up on teams late in the year. Now, they are the clear Clear front runner in the Big East. All eyes are on Creighton. The expectation is they will win the Big East. That is the expectation. I think that's a different role for this team. I like them. I don't love them on on the playing a national championship game. Hey, speaking yeah. of which, didn't didn't you say UConn was a favorite in one of your tweets, Doster? No, I said UConn was a potential top twenty-five team. I said that Creighton was the favorite mm. to to win the Big East. Mm. Okay. Don't try to get after him in in uh, June on UConn stuff quite yet. What I did say, what I did say is that it's ridiculous to think that Tristan Newton, who was the only player in college basketball last season to average 17.7 points, 4.8 boards, 5.0 assists, and shoot better than 33% from three. The only player in college basketball to do it, to call him not one of the 25 best transfers and not even mention him as a potential. He was called not one of the best 35 transfers in all of college basketball. By one, Gregory Waddell, that is uh, a crime against humanity. Question number six, T.O., do you buy Arkansas as a national title contender? I love their makeup. And anytime you want to address one of the best coaches in the country, start putting Eric Musselman in that conversation, especially with uh, some of the coaches exiting here lately. Their talent is high level. They kind of went the same route as Duke, except for the transfers they took in are hard playing, high energy defensive pieces. And that's going to give them chances with Nick Smith, with some of these other high level freshmen, Jordan Walsh guys. You mix in veteran pieces that are good at doing the other things, along with top-end talent like a Nick Smith. Like I said, it's going to uh, bode well for your season. Arkansas is a legitimate threat. That was it, two Elite Eights in a row now? They're a legitimate mm-hmm. threat to end up in Houston. Uh, I never lose faith, faith in the must bus. Jalen Williams coming back would have been massive, but even so, I feel like they're going to have enough talent, they're going to have enough scoring, and they have bigger body size this year with some of these high-level freshmen coming in. They got a bunch of big forwards with the with the twins from Rhode Island, and they got some length from Arizona State. They're just taking it from all over the place to go on top of five top 100 kids or six top 100 kids, whatever uh, Musselman brought in. It's a lot, and uh, they're going to continue to be really, really good. They are, in my mind right now, uh, the SEC favorites and favorites to make it to Houston uh, because of their high-level freshmen, their scoring, and their pieces around those guys defensively are going to be really, really tough. This is how it's going to play out, Fancy. You ready? Here's my 
bold prediction on what Arkansas season is going to look like. They're going to be okay and buy games in November and early December. There's going to be some point in December when they start getting their ass kicked, and there's going to be a three- to four-week stretch in mid to late December, maybe even into early January. We're like, yeah, yeah the bottom fell out. The must bus, the wheels are deflated. The, the axles fell off. Don't yeah. get off the must bus. Bail is going off a cliff, right? And then all of a sudden, must is going to figure out who his six guys are, figure out what his rotation is, figure out, okay, no one can stop this dude when they, we do this. No one can stop this dude when we do this. No one can stop this dude when we do this. He's going to have basically the three plays that he runs. They're going to become unstoppable, and they're going to make another Elite Eight after being horrible for the month of December because that's what they've done like the last three years. That is the pattern for Arkansas basketball. That's what they do. Must puts all these guys together, figure out, figures out what's worked, cuts bait with all the other guys, and goes with his six. That's how he does it. Is this that thing where one of the people who works for this media network says that they're a top 10 caliber team, but that he thinks that they're really not that good. And then when they're failing, he takes victory laps around Mama Hong and proceeds to just totally tear the program apart. And then when they get on a run again, People, the same Arkansas fans ask him to apologize to them, and he says, I have nothing to apologize to you for. I always thought that this was possible. Is this is this that same drill? Yeah, this is it's gonna this is gonna be what happens again this year. Jeff Grimm And you know who gonna, I'm talking about? Oh, uh, uh is his name, uh, Jeff, Yeah, is his name Jeffrey Goodman? He's gonna <laughs> bury them in December and he's gonna refuse to pull them out of the grave afterwards. I mean, that's yes, this is what look, the talent is there. It, it's oh it's yeah, undeniable yeah. the talent is there. Nick Smith is a star. Right. Anthony Black. I like him a lot. Jordan Walsh is the perfect uh, super athletic foreman. Um, they're young, right? Mm-hmm. They're young. I, and, and the transfers they have coming in, I think some of them are. Uh, let's just say uh, it, the, the teams that they're leaving are not necessarily sad to see them go, but the, the talent is there. You just got to figure out how these rotations are going to end up working. And there's going to be there's 13 guys on that roster that are basically expecting 25 to 30 minutes a night. And that just ain't going to happen. So someone's going to be sad, but, but he doesn't got, have, he you, doesn't you have got, a hard time doing with that. Like Chris likes, look at what he did. Right. And you got Sorry, an all pack, you got an all pack 12 selection in Jalen Graham. And then the American athletic conference, six man of the year and Ricky council, the fourth. I mean, look, they, they've got transfers that have come in that you say, I, I get what you're saying that it might not be that team's uh, biggest uh, sense of disappointment that they're heading out. But Eric Musselman, he didn't pick up just any power conference transfers. He picked up guys that coaches respected enough to vote for them on all conference teams and awards. I I, I just I just don't like how you guys aren't respecting the alarm. Sorry. <laughs> you keep telling us to keep going, baby. You aren't respecting the buzzer. <laughs> Fanta's like, I don't care. I don't care if there's 0.0 seconds left on the clock. We are playing more basketball here. It's true. <laughs> Elam Elam ending. This is why I hey look. If you guys think anybody can control Fanta here, now you're kind of understanding what his ego is. He makes his own rules. <laughs> oh, come on. Are you kidding me? No, I do not. All right. Question number seven. We're going to you first on this one, Fanta, because this was your question that you wanted added to our burning questions list. The new head coach that you are buying the most stock in. Well, I think that we have similar answers but that doesn't mean uh, that I'm not going to go with my answer because I'm first up on this one and I'm going with Todd Golden at Florida. The fact that he comes into this job, he keeps Florida's top two players from transferring in Colin Castleton and Kawasi Reeves. And then you think about the fact that he brings in a killer, a killer in Kyle Lofton. Lofton, I think flew under the radar nationally, but if you follow college basketball often like we do, the fact is the St. Bonaventure star was so vital to what the Bonnies have done in the past couple of years, averaging 13 and six. Will Richard is a really quality ad from Belmont who can shoot the, you know what, out of the basketball. So they came in, this staff has come in. They brought in Alex Fudge from LSU as well. They took on their needs they address them with high caliber transfer ads. I think there's a new energy with this program. Golden brings that to the fold. And I think that, that Florida basketball can be a top 10 program year in and year out with the right man leading them. And I think Golden is that guy. I know when this hire was made, people were like, oh, he's young. 
He's different. He's from San Francisco. Does he know Gainesville? Bullshit. This guy knows how to coach. He's I, got I high love, energy. I love that. I love that this has become the the Fanta is trashing Goodman podcast. <laughs> I, I, well, I, you know, I just think it's a stale take to say because he's not familiar with the geographical footprint, he can't coach. Like this guy can coach. I love. He's the type of guy you spend a minute around Todd Golden, you quickly realize why he's a winner. You don't just win games at San Francisco at the highest level. They hadn't been to the tournament since '98. There's a reason why they were there under Todd Golden. I'm all in on him. To. All right. Uh, just because I'm an overachiever, I wrote down four names. Todd Golden's one of those guys. When I say uh, for, there's another coach in the SEC. This was the ultimate uh, buy low, sell high. A little bit later thing. And Mike White, who moved from Florida to go to Georgia, dude's just got to win eight games this year. They've done some damage in the transfer portal. He's made some nice hires with his staff. So go ahead and throw him. I'm buying stock in them because Georgia's basketball stock right now is cheaper than dirt. You can you can buy that, and Derek's getting pretty expensive. But you can also buy you can buy Georgia stock really really low. So go ahead and put me in on that one. Uh, Kevin Willard at Maryland, and probably not right away, but as somebody who's attacking the DC recruiting uh, trail really really hard, and Maryland hasn't done that in a while, and they're starting to do that. They're back at Dematha. They're trying to get players back in the DC area to want to go to Maryland again. Uh, so it might take a year or two for that to kind of start moving, but I like that. And your man, Shaheen Holloway, Fanta. I mean, you we talked a little bit last year about players that came to the Big East from power conference or uh, the other five five power conferences that were maybe the third or fourth best player. You look at Justin Manai that was at Providence and some of these different guys. Look at who Seton Hall started to bring in. Alamir Dawes from Clemson, who was arguably their second best player, averaged over 11 points a game. Femi Odakali is a really talented, big body guard, fits the Big East perfectly. They've got a lot of different guys. Dre Davis, you're talking about a big body athlete from Louisville that transfers in. Seton Hall, Shaheen Holloway, there's no drop-off. They're going to continue to be really good. I love the direction the Pirates are going, and I'm sorry about the internet disconnect. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, here's the thing, Tio. We edited all that part out, so none of the people that are actually watching this are actually uh, aware of what you're referring to. But yeah. uh, I like I like all of your picks. Um, I had I have a list. I actually really like the the coaching carousel. I think there's a lot of uh, smart hires that have a potential for success. Um, two that were not mentioned. One, Sean Miller at Xavier. We've already mm-hmm. seen how well he's done there. Um, I think he's gonna he's gonna crush it again. Xavier is a great program. Uh, not a good program, a great program in the Big East. And I think that Sean Miller is going to find a way to get them going again. Uh, and I also really like Chris Jans at Mississippi State. Um, I think that that is – Chris Jans can coach. He can coach That's his it. ass off. I think what he's going to get at Mississippi State are a bunch of guys that fit in with his identity. There is nobody more blue-collar, more rugged, more tough, more Starkville than what Chris Jans is. That's the perfect fit. It's the perfect job for him. And I think that he's going to, I mean, I don't know if he's going to make Mississippi state a national title contender, but I think that he's going to do a very good job, keeping them relevant at the top of the SEC, uh, top half of the FCC. All right. Uh, I'm going to you for question number eight, T.O. the coach and or program who is under the most pressure this season. All right, so I went uh, one Big East school, three ACC schools, because I'm, again, I'm an overachiever. So Georgetown, Pat Ewing needs to do something this year. Enough is enough. Georgetown is Georgetown. Georgetown is not Georgetown without Pat Ewing, the player. Georgetown needs to become Georgetown again as Pat Ewing, the coach. I'm not sure that's uh, quite possible, but they brought in a lot of good names that would, you know, understandably generate some excitement if you were a Hoya fan. Uh, but that being said, still got to coach them. So we'll see how that goes. Syracuse is an interesting one. Not a great year last year. Struggled with athleticism. They brought in some bodies. Bayheim's getting a little long in the tooth. When I say a little long in the tooth, his teeth are dragging the ground. That dude's old. That's all I'm going to say about that. And it's time that uh, he has one more good season, and then maybe we see who what the plan is for whenever he leaves. So that's going to be interesting enough. NC State, Kevin Keats. Uh, they've got to win. They brought in a bunch of new guys. Uh, Joel Justice, one of our favorites, is obviously one of those additions. Uh, you wonder how that's going to turn out, but Keats needs to win some games this year. They haven't won in a few years. They need to make the tournament. That's going to be interesting. And Miami, because all of this NIL money, if Miami doesn't win, like it's it's going to generate some conversation. You're going to spend all this money on this roster, the roster that doesn't particularly stand out compared to some other teams in conference and you're still spending all this money, you better win games. So those are my four. 
But they made the Elite Eight last year. Yeah, I know. But then, but they're also like having a heavily invested team. They're almost as highly paid as a Miami Heat. They're the second, they're the second highest team in the, in that city. The second highest paid team in the city. But how much? What do you think life is like for Nigel Pack and for Isaiah Wong and for those guys and for Noah Shad Omier in uh, in Miami and Coral Gables right now? I bet they're living a pretty good life as a college student, getting that kind of money in Miami. Are you kidding me? That would be a lot of fun. It ain't Go Carter ahead, Elliott on Bourbon Street, but it's damn close. <laughs> yeah. No, no comment. Go ahead. No comment. Yeah, I was about to. <laughs> All right. So NC State was a good one, in, in, in my opinion. I, I'm with you. Keats has got to win games this gotta year. Win. But win. this is an easy question to answer. The team. Can I, can I guess where you're going? Can I guess where you're going on this? Yeah. John Calipari. Absolutely. I've been riding this bus for a while now. You can't do what they've done the last two years and then walk into this season and have a replica performance. If you do that in Lexington, people will be calling for change, whether you want to hear it or not. The fact is this, you have the best player in college basketball coming back to your team. And if he's not the best because you like narratives and you don't buy it, he's second or third best. Kentucky has to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament or else. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you on the, the Kentucky take. I, I think that Coach Cal is – I don't know if it's necessarily deserved, but if they don't have a kind of – they're preseason top five. If they don't have the kind of season that you would expect from a preseason top five team, that fan base is going to start getting really fired up because they're already kind of sick of being the, the program that brags about all of the draft picks and has none of the postseason success. So uh, they really want that next national title. Um, I also think John Shire, uh, look, yeah. you're replacing a legend. You have a team with all of this talent, right? And we just saw what Hubert Davis did in a very similar situation. He took some lumps early, got to a national title game, brought everybody back. And now he's looking at being the preseason number one team in the country. That's what John Shire's that, that's what two fans are going to expect that, that that he has Hubert Davis has set the bar. Now, John Shire's got to go try to pass it. And, and look, when you're already dealing with having to replace a legend, like I do not envy what that dude has to deal with this season at all. All right. Question number nine. Uh, Fanta, I'm going to go to you first on this one. Who is going to be this year's breakout star? And you can define breakout star however you want to define breakout star. Hmm. Well, I am going to go with Mike Miles, because I already think he's a star. But when I define breakout star, I'm going to the level of we could be calling him one of the very best players in the sport of college basketball. And now people are are more aware of Texas Christian University than they were last year. TCU has a chance to be a top 10 team in America. Yes, folks, TCU has a chance to win the Big 12 conference paint that in your brain i know that that's probably complicated for some of you to hear because you think of kansas and baylor and rightfully so but the big 12 truly has multiple horses not just two but three maybe four horses at the top of that conference race and i think miles is a terrific terrific player i love tcu's pieces with chuck o'bannon jr and eddie lampkin who Lit the world on fire during the NCAA tournament with how hard he played for Jamie Dixon. You but just I like do... him because he's a fellow big guy. Oh, he's a big a guy big out there guy, killing man. it. He's a big guy. But I think that TCU could be a Final Four dark horse team with all they have coming back. And I think Miles is at the forefront of it. So when I talk breakout in terms of that regard, I, I already think Miles is a star player but I don't know if he gets noticed nationally because he's in a TCU Horned Frogs jersey. I think that could change because now we know going into the season just how great this basketball team could be. Does that make yeah, sense? I'm, no, no, it makes perfect sense. So I have two guys on my list. I'm pulling the T.O. I'm, I'm being the overachiever here. Um, if, you're talking about a, if you're talking about a guy that is like a true breakout who's going from not scoring a ton of points to being a star, right? I'm going to go with Jordan Hawkins at UConn. I think that kid has all the potential in the world. Uh, I think what he needed was a dose of confidence, 
some better ball handling in an offseason, getting his ass in the weight room. And I think that UConn's going to be able to do that. So uh, I, I think we're looking at a guy that could end up being in the conversation as a potential first round pick, maybe a lottery pick if everything goes well for him. He's got the size, the length, the athleticism, the shooting ability to do it. If we're talking about someone going from being a good college basketball player that people like us love to being one of the names and faces of the sport. I'm going with Marcus Sasser. I think there's a very real chance that he could end up being national player of the year. We're talking about a guy that could score 20 points and average four assists on a team that T.O. you said could end up winning a national title could be the number one team in the country. So uh, Marcus Sasser for talking about someone be, like reaching a new level of stardom. And I'm going with jo- Jordan Hawkins being the guy that goes from being kind of like a, a reserve, no name to being someone that everybody knows and is talking about. Go ahead, Tio. Who do you have? I like the Jordan Hawkins one. Uh, the two guys that I picked, we've already talked about. I think Trey Alexander is going to have a great season for Creighton uh, just because of some of his experiences last year. He's been four. It's, he was it's tough to pick someone on Creighton because you could pick like five different guys. Yeah, like but he's also their whole team is a breakout star. Yeah, but he's going to be the guy with the ball in his hands a lot. So you're going to get to see that quite a bit. Uh, Bobby Over Namhard? Yeah, I could see a two-guard thing. They play so fast anyway. Whoever gets it out of the net is going to be it'll be, to Yeah, it'll be a grab-and-go thing for them. Sorry, go ahead, T.O. Yeah, yeah, I, I love the way that, that McDermott runs those guys. Uh, Bobby Pettiford, uh, big, strong body, next mm-hmm. Carolina guard, kind of talked about him. And Guys, I want to swing for the fences. This is a – this oh is a hot take. This is a this is oh one. That not a whole lot of guys Putting know the seatbelt on. I'm ready for this. What do we not got? Not a whole T-O? lot of guys know this unless you've really, really, really kept up with it. And he plays for Xavier. And it's going to be his first year, and people don't really know. I know who you're talking. This about. is Cam Kraft is going to have a really nice year for Sean Miller. One because Sean Miller. Go ahead. Is it going to work? Yeah. Sean, yeah. Sean Miller is instilling this guy with confidence. He knows how to get guys shots. Cam Kraft can really shoot it. And if you've ever seen him play, he's got no conscience and he's tough as shit. He fits that Xavier mold. Uh, He's going to have a really nice year as a freshman for uh, Xavier. Yeah. So um, I spoke with the, I spoke with Sean Miller, same reason I spoke with Gray McDermott. We have a project that is yet to be announced that we're working on with the field of 68. Hopefully we can uh, let you guys know about that soon in the next couple of weeks, but uh, Sean loves the two freshmen he has coming in, Ken Craft and, and Desmond Claude. They're both perfect fits for what the Xavier basketball program wants to be. All right, last question. Question number 10 for our burning questions. Uh, who, wh- who wants to go first on this one? Let's go, Fanta, we'll go to you first, okay? We'll go to you first. I want your boldest, bold prediction. You have one minute on the clock to tell me what it is and convince me why it's going to happen. Go ahead. San Diego State will be playing in a regional final. In like college it. basketball this upcoming season. That's my boldest of bold take. Look, the Aztecs, Aztecs bring back seven of their top eight scorers from last year. I'm a huge Matt Bradley guy. He is a bucket getter for this team. They defend at an extremely high level. One of the most underknown defensive teams in college basketball they're just they fly under the radar but they are physical with you they play like a power conference team Nathan Mensa provides length for this team Lamont Butler is big time they brought in some newcomers Darian Trammell from Seattle a high level scorer that they bring in in the process this team lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament last year I think that that's going to fuel them They have been the consistent program in the Mountain West, nine on the last 12 NCAA tournaments. You think about all they bring back, the fact that they have that centerpiece scorer in Matt Bradley, they defend the hell out of you. The Aztecs, the San Diego State Aztecs, are going to have a terrific year. All right, T.O., one minute on the clock. Give me your boldest, bold prediction. I think the Big East has three teams playing in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. I think the league is that good this year. Uh, they're adding a lot of transfers. They're recruiting again at a really high level. The excitement is back in the Big East. I love the way uh, how these teams compete, their toughness, the energy with Madison Square Garden. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. It was awesome. It was such a fun week. And then um, Indiana. Call your, call your shot on the three teams. Do it now. Call your shot on the three teams. I got to look at them. But I really just like the league as a whole. So I like UConn. Yeah. I like um, Creighton. Give me Seton Hall. Wow. No Providence. No Providence. No Providence. I love it. T.O. I would have gone Xavier. T.O. is a UConn guy. Let's go. I like Xavier. I like the Xavier call. I, I like, like the Xavier, Xavier call. But Seton like Hall is an interesting call. call there, T.O. 
Look they at the are. guys. They fit and they're tough. Every one of those dudes are tough as shit. Remember Kenny and, Smith said something like they're uh, St. Peter's have has all these guys that are just a bunch of tough dudes that are really good at the park. I'm telling you, I'll, it's that on steroids now. I'll die on this hill. I think Sheen Holloway is going to take Seton Hall to a Final Four before it's said and done. And to the people who say he, he doesn't want to be the coach there or, or that he won't be there long term, that is home for him. He could be Seton Hall's Ed Cooley. Yeah. And uh, speaking of Ed Cooley, I, I made a joke about Providence there, but I do think that Providence is going to end up being uh, really uh, fucking good. Yeah, re- yeah, really good. In and around the top 25, um, I think it's going to take them a little while to get there. They're, they're kind of banged up um, right now, and they got a lot of new pieces coming in. But I do think that they're going to find a way to, to be back in the tournament at minimum, probably yeah. in and around the top 25 for most of the year. They're going to be really good. Uh, all mm-hmm. right, my last one, my boldest bold take. I'm going to the Big Ten. And I'm going to say that there's going to be a Big Ten team making the Final Four this year. And no, it is not going to be the Indiana Hoosiers. Oh. I, th- I think that the Big Ten team that's going to make the Final Four this year is going to be Illinois, the Fighting Illini. Here's what's going to happen with them, right? They are yeah. going, to, they're going to win some big games during the season, right? They're going to lose some horrible games. They're going to enter the NCAA tournament sitting like 19 and 11, right? They're going to be a seven seed. They're going to be a seventh seed entering the NCAA tournament, finishing third in the Big Ten, right? <laughs> and then what they're going to do is they're going to catch fire, and we're going to see the real Terrence Shannon come out, and we're going to see the real Matthew Meyer come out. And Coleman Hawkins playing small ball five is going to explode on the NCAA tournament. R.J. Melendez is going to be one of the breakout stars in college basketball this year, this season. Sky Clark is going to hit his ceiling when it comes to March, and they are going to be playing in Houston at the Final Four. A lot of offensive versatility on that Illinois team. A lot of go bold. Here's what you do, T.O. You go bold or you go home. And John Fanta has gone home. This has been the DTF podcast. We'll see you guys again next week. (laughs) He's back. There he is. Wearing his board shorts, Fanta. 